Hello and welcome everyone to Gunpowder Treason No Plot. I am your DM and host as always, Adam Cookson, and tonight I'm, well, sat around a bit more of an empty table than usual. Virtual table, that is, anyway. As two of our players are not going to join us, and I have been, well, left with James Bunkle. Say hello. Hello. <laughs> well, you're going to be reprising your role as uh, Rogar the Paladin Sorcerer, as our other two players are on a bit of a hiatus for a while, but uh, we didn't want to deprive you listeners out there of uh, content from us, and we had a few ideas that we wanted to try out during this. It's like the the nether zone between arcs, as uh, we've just wrapped up arc one. If you didn't listen to last week's episode, that was the big finale, so go back and check it out. And Arc 2 will pick up around a month or so after that. There will be a a downtime period for their characters to do various things. But we're going to actually play out some of the various things Rogar wants to do. Because you have a bit of a laundry list. Yeah, I do. I've got plenty of things on the back burner. (laughs) And I mean, one of the major things is that, well, for Rogar, you kind of finished your goal. At least the one you started the game with. Yeah, yeah, though Sophia will continue to try and steal it from me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so your, I don't know, your vengeance has been fulfilled, and that's left Rogar to a bit of a loose end in some ways. So we've had a bit of discussion about a few things, and yeah, this is where we're going to kick off and find just what does Rogar get up to during this break. Uh, it won't always be just myself and James. We're going to have some uh, guests showing up later, but not on this particular episode. So before we kick off what's going to happen tonight, I think I'll do a very brief recap of the last episode, because as I say, it was the grand finale. The party faced off against Samuel Kren in a kind of climactic showdown. And when you finally finally put the nail in that particular coffin, Tommy almost turned into the next boss as the King in Yellow's book was found within Samuel Crenn's study and there was a bit of a choice to make on whether Tommy picked it up or not and he decided to go against it and he is now free of Hasta's influence for the time being at least and uh, Rogar kind of nicked the book after that. <laughs> yeah, it did. Uh, hasn't read it, hasn't touched it, and it kind of chucked it into the bag of holding. But that was the successful completion of the revolution, at least from inside the palace. And then you guys went up, you set off the signal, the banners burned, and the revolution cheered. And let's say what we're going to do at the moment is not go into a great deal of detail around what happened immediately after that. We'll pick that up when the full party is back. So in terms of Rogar right now, I'd say you're about four days after the closing off of the revolution when the palace fell. Yep. Um, I don't know whether Rogar joined in the festivities because there would have been partying and drinking and like drunken debauchery all around the streets of the city and just general celebration. And obviously the army returned as well. So they probably need a drink after being called out from the fields to come back to quash a revolution. And then turns out they were a bit late. <laughs> it, it's been a, a celebratory atmosphere, but obviously not the most celebratory. The the city went through a number of dark times during this period. But yeah, did did Rogar join in the festivities, or did you kind of go and brood somewhere? Did you Batman it? Were you up on a gargoyle just looking down? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, I'm going to say probably a little bit of both. I mean, coming out, you know, coming out of the uh, the, the actual experience, you know, was probably you know quite pleased, and obviously he's got his vengeance, so he's you know kind of feels relief almost. And um, you know, the way like I, I described it, you know, when the whispering man said, you know, well done, mm-hmm. just kind of said, you know, that that was like almost like your dad saying well done to you, you know, for the first time kind of thing. He was like, oh, I'm actually, you know, I'm proud of what you did here. So, mm-hmm. he, you know, he would have felt buoyed by that and, you know, probably joined in a bit of the festivities before then kind of realizing, crap, what do I do now? And then kind of, you know, trying to take time to find his way going forwards, obviously. Burying his head in a book, maybe. <laughs> well, I mean, if you want to... uh Say you spent any time, I'll say like yesterday, having a bit of a read. Did you want to look up anything specific in the book? Or were you just giving it, was it more just a cursory glance to kind of understand what you could get out of this book? Um, I'm going to say that it probably would have, you know, I probably would have tried to look up, um, I probably would have tried to look up Haster just because I think Tommy mentioned it while, you know, at at the end of the last one, at the end of the, um, you know, the revolution. So I think I probably would have spent a little bit of time trying to look him up in particular just to find out you know um because i know there's you know it seems as though the whispering man has a lot of relationships with other deities you know beneath him type of thing so just try and understand that you know that relationship and you know almost try and understand a bit more you know where rogar fits in what the whispering man might want from him next okay um well, if that was what you kind of spent time looking at, and I think that's a perfectly good idea of what you would probably go straight to doing after hearing uh, Tommy's, to you, probably confusing words, because obviously he just kind of blurted some stuff out but didn't really give any context, and I guess wasn't instantly going to explain it in these few days that we're skipping over. So, yeah, I could imagine uh, Rogar is going straight to looking that sort of stuff up. So I'd say, do me a religion check which is effectively you going through the uh, the lore of the book. And if you uh, remember what the book gives you, it actually gives you advantage on this due to the esoteric lore uh, benefit that, the, bo- that the, the, the book bestows. So roll me that with advantage. Still only a 12. <laughs> 12. Okay, okay. Let's see then. With a 12, you do gain a bit of understanding, but you find the book is very difficult. It's... Even though you can understand the languages it's written in due to your comprehend languages ability, um, it's confusing as fuck because things are written by different people. Some of these people clearly insane because their sentences make no sense. Sometimes you're wondering if they're writing in some sort of code or if it's suddenly written backwards because your comprehend languages magic doesn't translate it for you. And <laughs> It's a very confusing read, but you do get a bit of understanding about Hasta the Unspeakable. Hastur is a truly powerful entity. He's considered a great old one, and his domain tends to be around decadence and nihilistic disorder, a bit of undeath. He kind of has a mix of this destruction and rebirth aspects, and he's very chaotic as in individual, or at least that's the personality you seem to glean from the book. Um, You understand that he's connected to the king in yellow, and what you understand from reading this text is whether they're one in the same entity or whether 
the king in yellow is some sort of avatar of Hasta is a little unclear. The book, at least your understanding of it, doesn't seem to give you a clear picture of whether they're literally the same being, just wearing a different clothes for a different day, or whether one is almost like a projection of the other. Okay. You don't glean too much more than that. You seem to get a bit of an understanding that Haster might be one of many entities that make up these great old ones, and you also see written the name, well, the term, the Outer Gods as well, and that Haster has some sort of role within their overall hierarchy of deities because you understand from the deities that you're aware of like bane kalemvor baal those sort of guys you understand that there are like greater and lesser deities in a pantheon and you get the general understanding that maybe the great old ones might be the lesser deities in this pantheon and those that are considered the outer gods are above them okay that's that's what you get with the 12 right okay yeah that's that's quite interesting. It's, it's 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 almost good to know, you know, know that have that little bit of insight. Especially now, I seem to have this book that Tommy was so intrigued in, and I might be able to find out a bit more information about it without, you know, having to read it myself. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And can you roll me a D one hundred? Yeah. A uh, seventy six. Seventy six. Okay. So you uh, you read the book and you don't. Notice any um, ill side effects from trying to ingest this information? <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's that's good. <laughs> so yeah, so you you learned a little bit about Haster. So I'll say that's what you were doing the day before, and like you were starting to study things. And this morning you wake up, and Tommy and Sophia are both out. Solara kind of bid you a bit of a farewell because she's going to go head to the Temple of Mistra to have some conversations, and that kind of leaves you in the house alone. And, Rogo, what are you what are you doing today? What's your plan? Um, so, it's been, say, it's been about four days, so I might, you know, I might have a little bit of a wander downstairs, see if, you know, any of Sven's still hanging around, and, you know, have a quick bite to eat before I get up, before, like, you know, go about the day. Uh, I'll say because you, um, you took the insert from him last time because you're from your ghoulish yep. feature uh this the tweet this morning is the last of sven there's not there's nothing left now Just yeah bones. <laughs> that that yeah that that that's fair i mean i wasn't expecting to gain another insight from him or anything it was more just the it's keeping myself alive type of thing mm -hmm. that's funny but yeah um i've got obviously i still have the vial of kren's blood i need to go and give to the crimson tongue mm -hmm. so um i'm think I'm going to go deliver that, but, you know, as basically I want to see what I'm going to get for it type of thing. Okay. So you're going to head out into the city and kind of head down to their temple then. So when you leave the house, it, it's still kind of a weird sensation that you look outside and you don't see that omnipresent purple glow that was just covering the streets for so long. It's, it's nice, but it's strange that it's not there anymore. You know, when you kind of get used to something, seeing it every day, it's weird that you just now stood in sunlight. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, okay, so you make your way down to the sewers and you follow the path that you followed a few times now, so I won't go into, I won't make your roll for anything. You know the way to the temple. And you find yourself, after about an hour or so, at the front doors of the usual entrance you approach at the temple, these large cast-iron doors. 
yeah, I'll uh, I'll knock on the door. As you do, um, far quicker than usual, the door swings open, and David Landron has stood there, and he's got his two usual bodyguards with him. These um, robed figures that kind of shift and take up odd positions when they move, almost as if it's difficult for them to move in these bodies, but yet are so quick and silent. And as you open, as he opens the door and you're stood there, he goes, Ruga, we have been expecting you. Sup, David, my man, I come with glad tidings. Yes, I expect you do. I take it you wish to see our leader? Well, yeah. No reason to talk to you, is there, so... <laughs> he kind of glowers at you a little bit, but also kind of hangs his head low and uh, kind of <laughs> leads you through the temple. I mean, the temple is as profane as it always is, but I, I want you to make me a uh, perception check this time as you walk through, as you're kind of walking past the bodies that you see um, mutilated and hanging from the ceilings and the ritualistic sacrifices that you see all over this place. And you see the other cultists just moving around in their typical robed garb and that sort of hiding away in the shadows and skulking as you walk through. Yeah, I only got a 10. Uh, with a 10? I'll say with a 10 as you're walking down and you're kind of trying to avert your eyes from too many horrible things. You do notice one thing just beneath your feet on the tiles, in fact. You notice the tiles are covered in little eyes. Oh. Um, I'll just turn to... Uh, I'm guessing David's following me. Well, David's leading you, actually. He's taking you to oh. the Crimson Tungus. Oh, okay. Uh, be like... So, uh, new decor then, and like motion towards the eyes. He, uh, David shakes his head and goes, No, I believe those have always been here. Interesting. I have not seen them before. <laughs> Perhaps you should pay more attention. And he, uh, continues on in kind of stony silence. And now that you've noticed them, you do start to wonder this isn't never, as far as you're aware, isn't a temple to the Whispering Man. It certainly is now, but as far as you know, the Crimson Tongue hasn't been here for, like, hundreds of years or something. Hmm. Yeah. Let's Hmm. Okay, Rogo, Rogo's just going to carry on. I've got something at the back of my head that I think it could be, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not going I'm not, to, I'm not sure, so I'm, not, I'm just going to carry on. Hmm. Well, do you, do you want to do any sort of check, or are you just kind of happy to mull it over for now? Um... Would I be able to do like another perception check to see if I see anything else with like, um, you know, a different insignia on it that, you know, I wouldn't necessarily relate to the Whispering Man? Uh, I would say your 10 kind of covered what you saw as you were walking through the corridor. I'll say because you spotted the eyes, you could do a religion check on them. All right. Okay. Yeah, I'll do that. All right. A 20. Uh, with a 20 on your religion, it kind of clicks as you're walking behind David and you're heading towards the uh, Crimson Tongue's study. You, you've seen that symbol before, the eyes in a circle. That's the symbol of Sephiroth. Huh. Interesting. You see, that, that was what I had in my head as well. <laughs> so um, I'm going I'm to keep that to myself because David seems a bit, he, he, you know, I've, I've probably pissed him off a little bit anyway. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he is a bitch after all. So, <laughs> um, yeah, we'll carry on. I'm out and I'll decide if I'm going to ask the uh, the head lady about it. Okay, so eventually he leads you to another set of doors, and he pushes them open. He doesn't even seem to wait for summoning this time, and kind of pushes his hand to the side and kind of ushers you through. And as you walk into the study, 
you do see the Crimson Tongue sat at what looks like quite a nice desk, actually, perusing some rather ancient-looking tomes, and she's just sort of sat there flipping through the pages. But she looks up as you walk in, and she looks pretty much the same as she ever does. She's still wearing her kind of magnificent purple and black robes, and she's got that crazy look in the, her eyes that she pretty much always has as she kind of stares at you, but she greets you with a massive smile and goes, <laughs> Oh, Rogar, I believe you've got something for me. Crimson tongue, my darling. Yes, of course. And I'll whip out the vial. <laughs> Do you just walk over and hand it to her? Uh, well, I'm guessing I'm still on the other side of the room, so I'll just be holding it up almost so that she can see it. To be fair, would it still be like moving? Because I know it was moving before. Yeah, actually, as you take the blood out and kind of look at it as it's hanging there for a moment, the blood does seem to move by itself. It's kind of like, like it almost ooze-like going up the sides of the, the vial, but then like can't find any purchase and just sort of drops back down into being a liquid. It just seems to try that over and over every so often. Okay, okay. So yeah, um, I, I guess I'm stood like a few feet away from her, so you know, I'll just be holding it up and kind of looking at it, and, like big grin on my face, like, yeah, I am a badass, and this is really cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she smiles again and goes, "You know, there were times when I doubted. I honestly doubted whether you would succeed and whether I would simply have to find someone else. But I am pleased." Very pleased. It seems the final piece of the puzzle has been delivered right to me. <laughs> Without a hitch. <laughs> I can't believe you ever doubted me. <laughs> well, it's always best to think about contingencies, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. As she says that, she holds her hand out as if to, say, hand it over. Just a, just a quick question, though. Uh, as I'm handing it to her, what? Are you going to do with it? <laughs> she takes the vial and she looks at it and swirls the liquid round and she watches as the little ooze-like blood starts to part the test at the uh, the vial's glass walls again and then slumps back down and then she pockets it inside a rope and goes, <laughs> Well, that I'm going to keep as a surprise for now, but don't worry. <laughs> I'm sure you'll enjoy it when it happens. But... That does bring me on to another point. You see, Rogar, I'm sure you're aware that I haven't told you everything. I haven't really been letting you in on the grander plan. And for good reason. You see, getting this vow to me now and ensuring that my little ritual goes uninterrupted, you could see that as, shall we say, a test or a trial to make certain that you were as devoted as you said you were. And <laughs> I'm honestly pleased to say that you have passed with flying colors. Apart from one little blip, but I took care of that. No harm, no foul. Well, my dear, we all sometimes make mistakes. I mean, look at Steve. He's on our side, apparently. <laughs> he is indeed. As I said, multiple contingencies. Always best to plan ahead. Hmm. It is a shame, though, that your friends haven't worked out quite as well as we'd hoped, but they did what was needed. Well, at the end of the day, there were a means to an end, and, you know, we got to where we needed to be. Kind of wondering what's next for good old Rogar. What's next? Well, 
Come with me. And she stands up and walks away from her desk and goes to a door at the back of the, the room and kind of swings it open. Do you follow? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll follow her. As you walk through into this chamber, you see this chamber is much better lit. In fact, there's torches just lining all the walls that are just blazing brightly. And this chamber is fully illuminated. And you can see on the wall facing you as you walk through the doors a massive tapestry that shows you something that you've probably vaguely heard of, but you've never seen it actually drawn out by anyone. You see what is essentially a large picture of the planes. On this tapestry, you can see things have been labeled out quite nicely, and you recognize instantly a section to the south that says the plane of fire. And you see in the center the material plane, and written down one side is Shadowfell, and on the other side, Feywild. And then you see the planes of creation around that, the plane of fire, the plane of earth, the plane of water, and the plane of air. And as she kind of looks at it and goes, you see, we've been planning things for a long time, Rogar. And thanks to you, and she points at the plane of fire, we have achieved what we set out to there. And then she points at the plane of earth. And as I informed you, this is going to be your next target, at least when the time is right. But I think it's time you understood exactly why. At the end of the day, and she points to the center where the material plane is, and goes, this is the plane that matters. This is where we are right now. This is where pretty much everything goes down at the end of the day. This is the place that holds all of the faith, all of the magic, all of the belief, all of it wrapped together. This is our everything. And because of this, it is well protected. What we're going to do is make it far less protected. When you broke the barrier to the plane of fire, you watched as something from outside corrupted those lands, infected it, and perhaps you even thought destroyed it, but that's not the case. <laughs> the plane of fire is very much still in existence. It's just... <laughs> it's been reborn as something else. And when you complete your mission in the plane of Earth, we'll do the same there. And then water and air. Then the Feywild and the Shadowfell. And once this entire... <laughs> this entire plane, this entire realm, this everything has been surrounded, we will make our move on the material. And at that point, there will be nothing left to stop us. <laughs> Very interesting. This is a, I, 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 I like your thing, but I think you might be missing a, a point there. Oh? Well, you know, after finishing the plane of fire, and I looked back and, you know, looked to the Whisper Man, and he said to me, two down, two to go. So... Four to go. Four to go, even. <laughs> so, what, what, what's the two if I've only done one? She grins at that, and it's a very... I describe it as like a feral grin. And she, she looks at you with this quite intense stare for a moment, and then goes, hmm. Well, that's good. You're a little bit further ahead than I expected. At least that shows a certain level of trust. She moves her finger from the plane of Earth, and it crosses the Feywild and the Material Plane. And she points to the Shadowfell and goes, This one's been ours for a very long time. 
course, with the Shadowfell, it's always hard for people to really realize it. <laughs> Very interesting. So, so we are we're making moves pretty quickly then. Quickly is difficult. I don't know how much you really understand of this, but the entities we deal with, the Whispering Men, they don't see time as we do. In fact, time matters not to them. To them, both the Shadowfell and the Plane of Fire may have fallen within moments to us. <laughs> That's been over a thousand years since the Shadowfell fell to our whims. Okay. I do not pretend to understand why things must be done at the times they must be done. Even that is beyond me when I look at the grand cosmic scheme. But I do understand that when our master speaks and something must happen, it is with certainty that that is the point at which it must happen. Hmm. Very good. Yeah. That's, you know, I think I've seen something in the stars about this coming, you know. Can, you can see a lot when you look into this guy. <laughs> uh, when you say that, he kind of stares at you again and walks a bit closer and almost like stares directly into your eyes for a moment. And then she smiles and goes, Huh, I didn't even notice it. But you look so haunted, Rogar. I'm going to take... Can I, I'll take my helmet off and just be like, Not as haunted as I feel. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Well, it suits you. Well, hey, if you like it, I must be doing something right. <laughs> Give her a big smile and a wink with my Which third eye. eye. Wink. <laughs> third eye. <laughs> she smiles and goes, One thing you will realize is that our masters do enjoy gifting us with things that perhaps not everyone can handle. But the fact that you're still here, standing and in one piece, means you're doing well enough so far with it. Mm -hmm. It hasn't seemingly impeded you. Well, a little thing like this. Nothing to Rogar. Good. Good. But now that you understand a little bit more about what we're doing, I suppose the question is, just where do you see your place in it all, Rogar? If this was all one grand audition for you, and you have finally succeeded, I must ask, because I'm sure the question has been rattling around in your mind, what is next for you? What is it you desire? Well, it's safe to say, uh, you know, you know, over the, over the uh, you know, desires such as yourself, give her another wink. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I see myself leading people, bringing people to the cause. Perhaps, perhaps taking on more. She kind of tilts her head for a moment and then nods and goes, yes, I think someone of your skills would be more suited to the faith than to our other endeavors. <laughs> and luckily for you, that means that you'd be under my purview, as you must have realized. I am the one who leads our master's faith. And if you wish to take up more of a leadership role yourself, then I suppose that could be arranged. To be fair, it sounds, uh, it sounds quite promising, you know. Um, um, you know, unless you think there is something in particular where my skills would be useful to you. In terms of specifics, I'm sure 
the Whispering Man will command you as needed. But if your goal is to spread the faith, as it were, I'm sure I could work out some ways to aid you. Well, that sounds promising. Sounds like, you know, you might know some people where I can get started and start spreading the word. I feel as though, you know, not so much as a wolf in sheep's clothing is necessary, but perhaps a wolf in wolf's clothing. Indeed. You are correct. I do know how to gather aid, at least the sort of aid that you will need. And I must tell you that not long from now we will be moving out of the shadow, or at least us on the side of the faith will be. I know the Whispering Man's will is to start gathering all he can, those who could see the truth and see the light and bask in the glow of the stars. It's time that we started calling those people to us more directly than indirectly. And to do this, you're going to need help from those who are not squeamish, those who understand what we are trying to accomplish, and those that we can trust. And I know exactly where you could find such entities, ones that might be willing to bargain with you and join your little gathering and provide you with the help you'll need. Because I'm afraid, although, well, we can say that you report to me, I have other matters to attend to, and once I'm finished here, I will have to leave. So I think it's best that we get you all set up. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds pretty good. I I do have a couple of questions, but, you know, whether they're worth saving for another time or, no, whether maybe you can answer them now. Oh? What is it you wish to know? Well, I was just going to say, I happen to realize that, you know, we're in a temple that wasn't dedicated to a whispering man. And, you know, I'm just one, I've noticed the eyes on the floor and I noticed that this isn't a temple that's, you know, was built to be dedicated to our Lord. Um, why here? How did you decide on this place? This place suited a purpose. It was somewhat lucky that it existed directly underneath the city and that so many had forgotten about it. But, well, those I work with live long lives and are not ones to forget things. So when the time was right, we returned here, profaned it in our master's honor, and dedicated it to him. Oh, yeah. I can get behind that, you know, it's, yeah, I suppose that, the, you know, the central location helps and whatnot, but, um, <laughs> come to think of it, you, you may already know, I've actually, uh, I've met somebody who, well, maybe it wasn't exactly this temple, but has, well, worshipped the previous, say, God, I'll do it in air quotes, of this temple. He had some very interesting things to say, to be fair. When you say that, she kind of raises an eyebrow, and you feel the room get about a degree or two colder. And she goes, is that so? What exactly did this person tell you? Well, uh, hmm. I don't, I don't want to hide anything from her. Um, but what I'm going to do, I'm going to pull the head out the bag, because I've still got the head. Mm-hmm. Can I, I'm guessing there'll still be flesh on the head. Yeah, it's only been a, well, 
about a week or so now, I guess. Let's it's, take not a looking, buy- it's not looking great. <laughs> Let's take a bite out of the head. Okay. <laughs> Trying to get an, uh, an insight from him. I am. <laughs> um, taking a bite out of it, and you're going to have to take like a hefty chunk because he is literally just a head, uh, yeah. will give you... I would say it would give you advantage in insight because he was a seer. Okay. Let me... Not advantage, sorry. Uh, proficiency in insight. Put that down. Uh, I would say, well, what this old fool uh, wanted, basically in trade for his death, he would give me information. Um, information that I was trying to find out as much as I could about Samuel Crenn so I could, you know, hopefully kill him in a way that was most painful to him. Uh, was my initial idea. But uh, a name came quite familiar to me, uh, the name of Alistra. I don't know if you happen to have heard of her. I'm familiar. Well, as it turns out, she was on our side anyway. Um, but I was just trying to find out what I could about her. That name rang true to me when he mentioned it, and uh, I recalled her from you know, my time before any of this happened and um you know and he noted you know the the other names of the illuminated and that there were 13 of them and you know he just that's kind of what he told us a little bit about just you know not not particularly new information to me from my travels but it was pertinent at the time because he didn't know anything about krenner himself he saw him as a child interesting and having learned all this, what do you think? Thank the whispering man he chose me and I'm on the right side. <laughs> <laughs> Pity your friends haven't seen the same light. Yeah, but they're, how can I say, they're, they're not as malleable, let's say, as my tendencies. Well, that is true. Though, of course, there will one day come a time where that won't matter. True, I can see that in the, in the future somewhere, but I'll deal with them at the time when it's best. See that you do, if they even last that long. <laughs> That's very true. I mean, there's a lot of people out there, a lot of dangerous people that they don't know about. <laughs> Correct. Roga, when I said a moment ago that your path lies with the faith, there is another path. If you think about it this way, I tend to the soul of this world, and they tend to the mind of it. One for strategy, one for belief. The people that you're talking about, the illuminated, they work on that other path, while we work on ours. Oh. Let's see, when you put it, when you put it like that, it makes perfect sense. Hmm. Quite. Each person to fit their role that best suits them. Okay. And working together, we will bring about a new age. We will watch the world be bathed in madness, as if a storm of creation washes over everything. This world will be reborn in their image, Rogar, and we will be the ones to usher it in. Sounds like a beautiful world to me. Quite. And she sees, she kind of like lifts her head up and almost as if she's looking at the sky, even though she's just looking at the ceiling, and she kind of breathes in deeply for a moment just letting them letting it kind of wash over her even though to you she's just standing there looking at nothing almost 
And then she opens her eyes and looks back at you and goes, But first things first, I think you're at a little bit of a crossroads right now. Your vengeance, little paladin, is complete. Your oath satisfied? Is it not time to look to dedicate yourself to something else? Most definitely. Um, no. Uh, it's almost part of the reason that you know, I've been talking to you is I'm looking to put myself towards something more. And, you know, our belief, my belief, deserves more. Then follow me. And she walks past you, out back through her study, and assuming you're following her, she will lead you down a set of stairs to another part of the temple. Okay. As she, as she walks past me, can like I smell her just to see? You know, I have to notice Alistra smelled a lot like death, so I'm just I'm intrigued. Hmm. Uh do me a perception. Because uh, I've got my helmet off, do I get advantage? Uh, not for this, because that's uh, sight-based things. You're trying to smell something. Fair enough. A 12. 12? Ah, with a 12, you don't really pick up anything special. It just smells like any other regular human. Mm. She still smells special to Rogar. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So she leads you downstairs, then. And you follow along. And you're taking into quite a large chamber that you notice there are a number of cultists in here, all lining up the sides of the walls, all holding these torches that are burning with a greenish flame. And right in the middle, you see a pool. Except as you look closer, you realize it's not filled with water. It's filled with black tar-like liquid. Even before getting close to it, you can tell this isn't like particularly water-like. It looks thick and viscous. And the Crimson Tongue kind of just walks straight into it. And you watch as... You're not certain if it's alive, but the tar-like substance almost tries to grasp at her and then slips away. And as she stands there in the middle of the pool and turns around to look at you, it's almost like she's not getting touched by the liquid at all, despite being stood in it. And she opens her arms and kind of beckons you to approach. You know Rogar's going in there. (laughs) And, okay, so as you walk down the small set of steps that lead you into this pool, you feel that same liquid pulling at you, and it's actually difficult to walk towards her. It takes a lot of your strength, and obviously you're in full plate as well, and it's... You do feel like you're almost being physically held back and held down, but eventually you get close, and she looks at you and goes, Then it is time for you to take a new oath, Rogar. It is time for you to be reborn. And she puts her hand on your head. And you feel her start to push you, like, backwards and down. Do you attempt to resist or just go with it? Uh, at this point, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with it. At the end of the day, Rogar wants this. So he's not, you know. Okay. As she does that, she sort of steps to the side of you and pushes you down. So you're almost just lying on top of the liquid. And it's a weird sensation because it's, it's almost like, um, like the Dead Sea where you can kind of float in it because of all the salt. It's like oh, yeah, that. Yeah. And uh, you sit there for a moment as she kind of stands at your head and she puts two fingers on your forehead. And she starts saying something that you realize isn't exactly a language. It's almost like she's casting a spell. And you start to sink. And 
this liquid starts to grab at your face, and you can almost feel it pulling you down into the darkness. And after a moment of kind of holding your breath, you realize the liquid is starting to force its way up through your nostrils and working through your mouth, and you start to drown. And I, I want you to do me a, um, do me a, let's say a wisdom saving throw. I just want to see if you panic or if you kind of hold your, hold your shit together. Do I get advantage? Uh, no. <laughs> a 10. <laughs> uh, with a 10, you do start to panic a little bit because as this liquid starts to work its way inside your nostrils and sinuses, you realize... Even more so, this is definitely not water, and it doesn't feel like regular drowning. It feels like it's expanding inside of you and trying to um, actually strangle you from the inside more than just drown you. And you start to thrash a little bit, but then you feel the Crimson Tongue sort of presses down in your head forcefully and drops you to the bottom of the pool. And your vision goes completely dark. And a little part of you wonders if you're just going to die in this pool just drown and never rise out of it again. And as you're sort of sitting there in the darkness, unable to move as this liquid grasps you, you start to see a vision. Rogar, you see yourself stood atop of a cliff, looking down over the land. As behind you, you hear a storm raging. And as the wind wall and the storm front hits you from behind, it almost pushes you off the cliff, but you stand your ground as the rain comes down upon the lands below, and everywhere the raindrops hit, you see the spread of that corruption. The same corruption that you saw in the plane of fire, these blackened vines spreading out across what used to be green grass and farmland and buildings and everything that you can see from this vantage point. And you watch as the black and green clouds roll overhead and bursts of flying creatures start to descend out of them. Some of them you recognize as the Night Gaunts, but others, much larger creatures you don't recognize at all. They are monstrous in proportion. They seem to be covered in mouths and tentacles, and they look entirely alien to you as they swoop down into the lands, picking people up, throwing them into the darkness, into that very same corruption that seems to just swarm over them. And as you blink, your location seems to change, and now you're in some sort of city, in a town square, and you see hordes of the faithful, just regular citizens, but they're all wearing the symbol of the Whispering Man. His mark has been either painted onto their clothes, or cut into their skin, or just daubed on them in blood, and they are praying and chanting, and you're stood on a podium, and you're just sermonizing before them and they are just enraptured by this moment. And Rogar, you look up away from them and you see gargantuan shadows moving in the distance, moving towards this location. And then you look up as all your followers look up to the sky and you see the stars above you. But the sky is not familiar, this dark night sky that you're looking on. It is covered in thousands of stars that you've never seen before and you see color you see nebulas forming you see the cosmos swirling above you and then you watch as the sky cracks 
and your eyes open and you gasp breath as you're suddenly floating on top of the water again. And you hear the crimson tongue finish what she's saying and it finally makes sense to you. She says, you will douse the flame of hope. You will bring your followers to heal with a fist of iron. And above all else, rule with strength. Go forth and conquer my paladin. Bring the world to heal. And she takes her hand away and she turns and walks out of the pool as you kind of float there for a moment, letting that all sink in. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, um, well, I'm, gu- I'm guessing you know, one, once I kind of get, you know, get myself together a little bit, um, yeah, I'll stand up. Uh, can I stand up in the pool or do I, can I just float in the pool? Uh, if you drill to stand up, you find it's now a lot easier to move in the pool. The pool doesn't seem to be trying to grab at you anymore. It's like you it's almost like you're just floating on something and then the moment you start trying to put your feet to the ground they just go to the ground okay um yeah i'll i'll get up and follow her out of the pool okay as she leads you away from here she takes you a different direction she doesn't actually lead you back up to her study she walks you down the corridors and goes as i said you're going to need aid in this endeavor and i will not always be there to provide it so it's time that we found you people who will aid you, those who understand our cause and will do nothing to impede it. Please don't be Steve. <laughs> no, Steve will have his own tasks ahead of him. Phew. That guy did not like me. <laughs> no, he certainly didn't seem to be a fan. But for now, he is occupied elsewhere. Right now, though, we need to get you aid, and upstairs I showed you something. I showed you a map of the planes, and those are essentially the planes of creation, the ones that most people are quite familiar with, and those who are particularly devout may take time to study the other planes, the celestial planes, the planes most commonly associated with the afterlife. There are other stranger ones as well, places such as Pandemonium, or, well... <laughs> There's a host out there, I won't bother listing them all. But they're all part of one realm. They're all connected in one way or another. And it's not in that realm that you will find help, Rogar, because the entities we deal with, those that understand and know about them, are not from this realm. They are from far beyond it. So I think it's time that you visit a place. A place that your mind did briefly touch once. I think it's time you go there with a little bit more freedom to hunt for creatures who will be willing to aid you. And she takes you to a room. It's quite a small room compared to the large chamber you were just in with the pool. And you see like a single, I'd almost describe it a bit like a chaise lounge, something someone could just, one person could lie on. And she points towards it and goes, Roga, I'm going to send you to the dreamlands. It is a realm, well, it is a realm far from here and only tenuously connected to these realms. Most people will have been there, but they won't remember it, because the dreamlands are quite literally made up from the consciousness of dreamers, of this realm, and as far as I understand it, any realm in all the planes of existence, the unconscious minds create that place. But there is more to it than that. It it houses civilizations and races and people just like this world does 
entities that live there, born there, die there. That's where you will find help, from among those dreamers who wander and understand why they're there, and among those who make such a place their home. If you go there, you will find the people you need to find, and they, if you can convince them, will help you in your task to bring forth the faith. And she kind of motions for you to lay down on the chaise lounge. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll head over to it. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't want to piss her off really at any point. Yeah. Okay. Um, she looks at you again as you kind of sit down and you see almost a little bit of concern across her face as she goes, there is one thing you must understand though, Rogar. I am sending you somewhere quite dangerous, even though it may not always seem that way. Your physical body is not going to go there, but your mind will. And in that form, you will not be able to die in the dreamland. But there are fates worse than death that can be found there. Should your mind begin to falter, should you begin to fracture and fragment, you will begin to lose parts of yourself that you will never be able to regain. You must be strong-willed and strong of mind, and you must do your best to avoid entities that are too close to the chaos, too close to understand that you could have potentially been an ally. There are creatures there that will hunt you and attempt to destroy you simply because that is their nature. We should not hate them for it, and in fact, perhaps when you are stronger, those creatures may become allies, but for now, they are... They are out of your reach, and you are best to avoid them. The realm you will visit is difficult to navigate. You must have a strong focus on what you want and what you need, lest you simply become lost there forever. I would go with a clear picture in your mind of exactly what you need. Are you searching out people who could give you knowledge? Searching out people who could help guide you? Searching out those who could seek information for you, or those to act as your champions, those to act as your priests. Go with intent and walk with intent. And when the skies turn dark and the world shifts around you, do not lose your balance. Do not falter in your task. Else, if you lose too much of yourself, you will never return. Your body will simply rot here. And I will not be able to save you. Rogar knows what he wants. And it sounds like Rogar knows what he needs to do. So let's get this show on the road and get this done. She nods and she takes out five vials and she goes, give me your hand. I give him my hand. She takes your gauntlet off and she draws a blade just lightning fast across your palm. And then holds your hand over each of these vials until she has five vials of blood. She gives you back the gauntlet and... She whispers a spell, and the blood begins to glow and change color. And it goes from a, uh, a dark red to a sort of almost luminous green. And she hands these vials back to you and goes, These vials, they will appear with you in the dreamland, as will everything you're wearing right now. Because that is what makes up you, Rogar. It is your projection of yourself. Give these vials to entities you feel could help you. With them. No matter where they are, whether they live in the dreamlands or whether they are projections like yourself, those entities will be able to find you in this realm. It might take them a while, but they will come to you. Once you have their agreement, and only then, give them the vials. 
And the next thing she does is she pulls out an amulet from a pouch and she kind of puts it around your head and goes, when you're ready to leave, when you have completed your task, and I do warn you, do not leave until you are satisfied because this experience will take a toll on you and returning there will be very difficult. In fact, it will not be something you'll be able to do for quite a while. But when you are ready to leave, find a secluded place and focus on breaking this amulet. It will take a while, so ensure that you are protected and safe when you go to do so. But once it's done, you will awaken, and you will be back here. Rogar just nods and uh, yeah, lies down. You know, re- basically ready for, ready for this mission, really. Okay. So, with that all said, she begins to cast a ritual. And while this ritual is going on, yeah, I think we should um, swap the scene a little bit. Okay. Just briefly. And what we're going to look upon is a campsite that's outside of Faradin's city walls. In fact, it's just in the forest, not too far away, but far enough away not to be noticed by scouts and uh, any patrols that roam the countryside. In a small clearing, you see a fire, and there are two people sat there. And you see the naked half-orc form of Dick Fate. And you see Montel. And Dick, the last few days have been a blur. You have been in and out of consciousness, and this is really the first time you're even starting to be able to string two words together. The last four years have just been an absolute haze to you. You remember doing what you're told. You remember trying to make Samuel Cren happy by just following his orders, but you don't always remember what those orders were, and your mind is just a fragmented jumble. But you do know right now you're sat in a campfire and you're looking across at Montel, someone who you feel like you haven't seen in a long time, and you don't really know why. You recall fighting a dragon and Montel not being there. But now he's here, and as far as you're aware, he's the reason you're out in this forest, but you don't quite recall why. And up until this point, any time Montel's attempted to explain it to you, you've just not really understood. Your mind's been too unfocused. But now you're starting to come around, and you sat there with a bit of food, and Montel is just looking at the fire and kind of poking it a little bit to keep it going. Ugh. Dickhead not feel so good. Ugh. <laughs> well, buddy, that's the most cogent thing you've said in a while. Oh, where, where'd Dick go? Uh, Dick fight dragon. where dragon go? Why are you not there? Where you go? Uh, hold, hold on, buddy. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think you're missing a lot of information. Yeah, you, you fought a dragon, kid, and as far as I'm aware, you did pretty damn well. I saw it, but... That, that thing, that item that was damaging the planes, the thing that caused the rift that that dragon came through, I don't know how, but it was stopping me appearing there like I normally do. Almost like it was trying to banish me. So I'm sorry that I couldn't be there. And I have to tell you, buddy, uh, ever since then I've been trying my damnedest to bring you back. It's been hard. It's been, uh, it's been goddamn hard. <laughs> Tell me, uh, do you remember much else after that? Or do you just remember the dragon? 
Bring Dick back. Dick, Dick, go. Where'd Dick go? Uh, Dick, remember Cran. Cran, good person. We, uh, we save Cran. Get a lot of money. But, uh, no. Dick not remember much else. Montel sort of shakes it and goes, well, damn, buddy. Uh, I don't know how much of this you're going to believe, but... And he, he kind of recants portions of the story. He tells you that you've been under Kren's control for a while. He doesn't really understand why. Montel doesn't know the ins and outs of what happened. The last thing he remembers is you were fighting a dragon, and then Kren started acting weird. He read from a book, and then Montel wasn't there anymore. He wasn't in that room. He was somewhere else. And it's taken him a while to come back. But when he came back, he found you acting as the guard captain and following orders, doing... He sugarcoats it a little bit, but you get the impression you may have done some things you're going to regret, and you're not certain whether to press those issues right now or not. And Montel doesn't seem to want to tell you in any great detail, given your mental fragility right now. Yep. But he kind of says that some people were able to snap you out of it enough for him to get you out of there. And then not long after that, you started screaming and clutching your head. And then you started muttering things that made a little bit more sense to Montel. You started acting a little bit more like yourself, even though you were struggling to maintain any sort of concentration. So that's what Montel kind of tells you as you're sat around this campfire for a while. So dick not go, Montel go. Tiny bucks. Why, why, why tiny bucks? Well, if I'm honest with you, and frankly, I'm just guessing, but I think it's because it's because I'm not from here, buddy. I, I'm not native to uh, what we like to call the material plane. <laughs> Dick is even more confused than you can imagine. <laughs> Montel kind of sees you kind of like squinting your face, and he's like, ah, look, buddy, I'm... I know you weren't exactly raised in a scholarly environment, so I'm going to keep this pretty simple. Think of it this way. You were raised by your people, right? You lived with the orcs, the half-orcs, at least when you were young, yeah? Yeah, yeah. You had a, a tribe and a... Did you have a village or a city? Well, not real village or city, but Dick have good people. Dick have good parents. We, we, we make what we do from land. Okay. So imagine that tribe of yours. Imagine that it's almost like a circle around it, like a barrier. And that's considered your home, right? And then you go out into the world and you see other people's homes. You see places like this, uh, this Varadin city. It's where all, a bunch of humans live and a few other races make their home here. But it's mostly human. Think of it like... That's the human's home, and over somewhere else is your old home. You follow me? Yeah, yeah. Now, getting from one place to the other, that ain't too difficult for you. It's, you know, it's a walk. It's not too bad. Well, my home is a lot further away, and it is not just as simple as walking over to come see you. It takes some pretty powerful magic to get me here, and unfortunately, because of the nature of the place, I sometimes lose a bit of time when I have to pass between one home to the other home. I lost a few years. But when I got back, that's when I found you, and I've been trying to figure out how to set you free ever since. So, so, so 
Montal, not from here, Montal from Over City. Yeah, you can think about that way, buddy. Okay. Dick, 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 un- Dick, understand. You, you from far away planet, city. Dick from this city. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And, um, that, that box sent me back to that city. And yeah, that's why I've been gone. I can't hope to explain to you exactly what the hell was going on with Kren. I know you liked him, buddy, and when I saw him the first time, he seemed like a good man, and his people seemed to like him too. But all I can say is after, after that fight with the dragon, after I got banished, when I came back, the man I saw was not the man you originally met. Something happened to him, something, something bad, and I don't exactly know and I don't exactly understand but it corrupted his mind it sent him over the edge and I don't know how but that seemed to affect you as well I don't know what happened to the other two to Toph and to Kurt I've not seen them since I've been back and I haven't really heard of what either of them are up to but well I made it my mission to try get you out of there Dick Dick very uh Dick very confused but Dick, thankful for you, Montel. Always, always good friend to Dick. Always help, be by Dick's side. Always helpful to Dick. Uh, I try, buddy. I try. It's been a difficult one. So, uh, yeah. What you and Dick do now? Dick, very tired. Yeah, I mean, you're probably going to want to sleep a few more days, but before we go, I did say I'd, uh, Try explain myself a little bit to the people who helped free you. The problem I have is I don't think they're going to take too kindly to you personally. So my thinking is I get you somewhere safe. I'll go back. I'll have a little bit of a chat with them. And then I'll come meet you. How's that sound? Uh, Deck not so sure. Uh, those people seem uh, maybe... May- Dangerous, maybe. Dick, 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 not not remember them too well. Yeah, yeah, they seem pretty dangerous, but, uh, well, I can handle myself reasonably well, buddy. <laughs> you know that. I'll be careful. <laughs> I will. <laughs> okay, yeah, uh, Dick, Dick, Dick agree. Dick, uh, you and Dick go someplace safe, then, uh, maybe Dick have to save you. Dick owe you one after all. <laughs> well, uh, I don't think you should say that, buddy, because I think one day you are going to have to save me. Probably save a lot of people. But we'll talk about that another night. You get some rest, and uh, we'll head out in the morning. <laughs> just, you just remember, Dick beat Dragon. <laughs> that you did. That you did. <laughs> and uh, the pair of you kind of finish eating and go to your separate sort of, he set up a couple of tents so you guys can sleep and, you know, head off to rest. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. And then we're going to pan back over because the ritual is complete. And Rogar, it's strange, you're lying there on this single bed and as the Crimson Tongue is getting towards the end of the ritual, you're finding it really hard to hear her, almost like it's distant and echoey. And eventually she stops speaking, and you watch as she stands up and starts to walk away, and then she gets about 
10 feet from you and stops. So I could just see her like stood 10 feet in front of me. Yeah, she's got her back to you. She kind of walked away and she's sort of just frozen there for a moment. Okay, I'm just going to, I don't know. I'm guessing I'm starting to like fall asleep a little bit. So yeah, just just going to just just keep looking at her. Just see if I can like make out anything more she's saying or anything. Uh, Okay, so you're lying there for a moment. You're looking over and uh, she seems to have completely stopped. And as you're looking, you notice the torches by the door that give this room a dim bit of light. The fire has stopped flickering. It's frozen. Can I take a perception check? Sure. Give me a perception. Do I still have my helmet off or on? Uh, it's up to you. It can be off if you want. Yeah. Yeah, we'll go with off. Oh, God. <laughs> a nine. Nine. Um, you look around. The rest of the room is pretty barren, to be honest. Uh, but you, you can still see that the, the fires aren't moving. And, say, the Crimson Tongue has just sort of stood there back to you. But I'm... Do, do I definitely think I'm still in the room? As far as you can tell. In fact, nothing really happened. She sat there and like cast a spell for like an hour and then got up and started to walk away. Um, what? Can it, um, I don't know if that would work. If it, hmm. If we're kind of in, I don't, I don't, I don't know if it'd work. Could I try and like imagine myself wearing something different and see if I actually change into that item of clothing? Maybe. Something like that. Um, hmm. Do me a do me a flat out intelligence. Just do an intelligence check to see like how well you can kind of concentrate on changing something. Uh, uh yeah, <laughs> a natural twenty. Natural twenty. So what are you trying to do? You're trying to change your armor to look like something different. So I I still want to be in plate armor, but I want to imagine it as white, but with the whispering man symbol in the middle of the breastplate. Interesting. Okay, so you. You focus, and you think, and you think, and you concentrate, and the armor does start to flicker, and it does change. It is now a white set of plate with the Whispering Man symbol in the center of it. That is cool. Okay. So, yeah, I'm going to... Well, if I can do that, I imagine I can stand up, so I'm going to try and stand up. Okay, you stand up. You are stood next to the bed. Okay, um... Well, I'll, well, since she's the only person here, I'll move over to the Crimson Tongue and see, like, you know, if it's that. Well, I don't, I don't actually know if it's at her, do I? Because I can only see her from the back. So, um, yeah, I'll move over to her and you know see if she can either still see me or I, I guess and sense my presence or not. Uh, as you walk up to her and you look at her, you start to you walk around to the front to try to see her face, and as you do so. You're still looking at the back of her head. You just see her long hair. Can't make out any features. Okay. Um, right. That's right. Um, I'll head out the door then. Okay. You start to walk towards the door, and you get about three steps away from where you were standing as the stone tiles underneath your feet start to disintegrate, and you just fall flat forward. Your face is rushing towards the ground, and as it hits it, the ground just shatters like glass, and you fall into the darkness below. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so, uh, um, do I come to a stop at any point, or do I just keep falling? Well, you fall, what you're looking around, like you don't see anything in inky darkness, and you feel like, oh crap, I'm going to be falling forever. And then all of a sudden, you smash 
into earth, soil, and you're suddenly in a tunnel. Can I take a perception check to see if I recognize the tunnel? Uh, I would say the tunnel just looks like a... Looks like something burrowed through here at some point. It is just a circular um, tunnel made of soil and stone. Rogar's immediately f- thinking, please don't be an ankeg. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say you look up and the ceiling is just soil. You're not in the temple anymore. You don't see where you fell through. You're just in this tunnel. So are my options just left and right? Pretty much, yeah. Go right. Okay. You start wandering to the right, and you walk through this tunnel for a while, and it's quiet and a little bit cool. You don't see anything. You don't hear anything. And then as you travel for, what, probably about half an hour of just walking, this tunnel opens up, and you're suddenly in a massive cavern, a cavern so big that you can't see the top of it. But what you do see is what looks like the top of a tower. And it's odd, because this is definitely the top of the tower, which would imply that the rest of the tower is below what you can see, because you just still see soil. But you see a window, like, about a foot off the ground. So there's no doors, but you can see this window and this stone tower just jutting out of the ground. Uh, Can I check it for any, like, traps or spells or anything? Yeah, sure. Uh, Is that investigation or perception? Um... You're trying to give it a once-over, I'd say, uh, do me a perception. Twelve. Twelve? You don't notice any traps or anything, but as you kind of walk a little bit closer to the tower, you do hear, it sounds like chewing coming from inside the window. Can I see through the window? Are you going to go all the way up to the window to peer through? Um, I'm going to put my helmet back on before I do so, just because I'm guessing I still look like a ghoul. You do, so, yeah. Um, yeah, save frightening anything or person that may be in there. Uh, I'll put the helmet back on. Not that that's any less scary, but at least it's not a ghoul. <laughs> All right. Uh, so you stick your head through the window to look inside this tower, and I mean, the first thing that kind of hits you is just this wave of this, this wave of like decay and ancientness. It's almost hard to quantify, but just. Even just trying to touch the stone, you feel it's little bits of it crumble away, and just the miasma that wafts over you as you stick your head through. This this thing is ancient beyond compare. But you look inside, and there's a floor at a slight angle, which helps uh, helps you understand that this is like a tower that's not entirely straight all the way down. And you look through, and you see in the corner a ghoul hunched over like, down low, like, crouching, and he seems to be gnawing on something. Ooh. Um, I'll, uh, I'll take the helmet back off, and, um, yeah, I'll, uh, I don't know. I suppose I'll, I suppose I'll knock on the window rather than bust my way in. Okay. I, well, sorry, when I'm saying a window, this is like a, a tower, um, basically it's a hole. It's like, it's shaped like a window made out of stone, but there's no glass or anything. you when you if you poke your head through, you can literally just look through it. So, are you knocking on like the stone, or are you just going to jump through? Oh no! If it, if it's just a hole, I'll I'll just jump through, but not in like a threatening manner. Okay. As you kind of like land on the ground, uh, you you do hear this creature is talking to itself as it's gnawing on something, and you just hear it going, 
Itta meat, lick the bone. Itta meat, lick the bone. Itta meat, lick the bone. And he's like chanting to himself. He doesn't even seem to really notice you as you climb through the window. Okay. Um, he obviously seems like a bit of an imbecile. Um, at least on first impressions. Can I see anything else in the room or just him? Uh, as you look around the room on the inside, it looks like someone's bedroom that has just been left to massive disrepair. You see uh, a portion of a bed that all the the wood has like rotted away, and you see some tattered sheets. You see a dresser on the side that is partially completely that is like partially decayed and just rotting. You see shards of a broken mirror that's scattered on the floor. And you see like some tattered curtains as well that are just either side of the window that you cl- climb through. Uh, I'll just... Well, it's like, you! Where am I? When you like directly address him, you he, he kind of jumps and you hit her um, and you see a bone clatter to the floor and he kind of like spins around and goes, Ah, hello. What, what brings you here? I'll just say, I'll just say to him, look, I'm here. I'm looking for a certain kind of person. Probably not you, but I'm looking for a way out of here. Need to find some people who can spread the word, spread my faith. Um, but you're here. I don't know where here is. Where am I? And how do I get out? Hmm. Oh, depends where you try to go. <laughs> you from, and he kind of points upwards and like cocks his head a little bit. Yeah, let's say I am. I see. You want to go back? No, 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 no. Not yet. Not yet. Got some people to find. Not too sure who they are. But, you know, we'll get to that when I come to it. Hmm. Well, only other way to go. And he kind of points down. Okay. Any idea what's down there, then? Hmm. Many things down there. Many, many things. Things that change. Things that look one way one day, and then look another way another day. Okay. You wish to go? Well, where do you want to go? Mm, where do I want to go? I want to go where there is food. Maybe go up. Maybe find good body hidden in soil. Mm, tasty bodies. Then bring back down. And then I eat. Eat the meat, lick bone. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm after my own tastes. Give him a wink with a third eye. <laughs> Ah, you have many eyes. Many things down here have many eyes. You fit in well. Sounds good, sounds good. So, I'll tell you what. I'm looking for a certain kind of person, a certain kind of creature, per se. Is there any cities or any, any particular types of people to look out for or maybe avoid? Hmm. Hmm. For a... for people such as ourselves. He kind of squints at you, and he does sort of recognize your ghoulishness and goes, Ah, uh, we not, hmm, not normally too welcome in too much civilization. They don't like those, and he kind of points up again. Those up there, definitely not like. Some other places down there, hmm, some tolerate, some not so much. We get beat, get attacked. Though some places deep under earth, they like us. Where most of us stay. But you, you stand not quite like us. And he's kind of like, you notice he's kind of hunched down. And he's, 
he moves in a very animalistic ways. He's kind of like sizing up and down. He goes, maybe you blend in more. Hmm. There are many things, some bad, some not so bad. Um, stay away from, stay away from the north. The north is not a good place. Okay, that's good to know. Definitely don't let them take you there. You won't come out. No one comes out. Okay, that's good to know. That's good to know. You've been most helpful, my friend. And crap, I have no like bodies to throw him. Tell you what, if I see you on the way back up, you're getting a body. He kind of like leaps up and down a little bit and like seems very happy at that. Oh, free body. <laughs> That's the best sort of body. Tell you what, maybe you come with me. Maybe I get your buddies on the way. Mm. After all, I've got to eat too. Mm. Uh, do me a persuasion. Okay. Uh, 13. Mm. With that, he goes, he sort of shakes his head a little bit and goes, Well, mm, we're quite hungry. We're going up to hunt, to eat. But suppose we could show you a way. Show you down. Okay, yeah, I'll I'll take that. Uh, if you, I'll take his advice, help. He kind of like nods his head excitedly, and he goes over to a corner and scrabbles about on the floor a little bit. And you suddenly watch as he pulls up like a trap door, and there are a set of stone stairs that lead downwards. And he kind of like hurries you over and starts going down himself. Like, come on, come on, no time like present. Okay, I'll fo- I'll, I'll follow him. Yeah. He's- Seems all right. All right. He he starts leading you down as you approach the stairway. You you see down through the tower, and you realize this tower must be massive, but all of the floors have either fallen away, been destroyed, rotted. This stairway just leads like around the edges of the walls, and it just goes down and down and down, and there is nothing but the floor that you were stood on. So, like, if that floor gave away, you would have just fallen into the darkness. Wow. <laughs> and he doesn't seem bothered at all. He is, like, happily, like, leaping down the stairs. And you're a little bit more nervous because there is no, like, handrail. There's no corner. It's literally stone steps and then the abyss. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so I, you're... Can, I can understand why Rogar in massive plate armor would be a bit nervous. <laughs> yeah, so you're going you're gonna to hug the wall more as you go down and you feel like he he leads you down for a really long time but you are struggling to kind of note the passage of time especially in a place like this that has no real landmarks it's just stairs after stairs after stairs but eventually he gets to right near the bottom and you see a door and then two more stairs and then just nothing and he turns and looks and goes okay this way you want to go okay cheers like i said Remember way back, you're getting a body. Excellent. We look forward to it. And then he kind of leaps over you and starts making his way back up the stairs. Yeah, I like that guy. Um, I'll, I'll check the door just to make sure it's not, again, try and make sure it's not trapped or anything. All right. Do me an investigation because you're going to like pat the door and things. Oh, a seven. Do <laughs> uh, you look it over? It just looks like a really old wooden door. So old that you're surprised it's in, in as good of condition as it is. Especially given the rest of this tower. Um, that doesn't bode well. Um, I just opened the door. Okay. You open the door? You step through? Uh, yeah. 
All right. You open the door and you step through. And as you open the door, you're actually kind of blinded for a moment because you've been walking in darkness for what may have been hours, may have been days. You're not entirely certain. But as you open the door, you're just hit full in the face with blinding light as you realize, oh, there's a sun out here. And you take a step without realizing that there's no ground. And you fall. <laughs> you fall through the sky and very quickly come across the ground. And you smash into the ground. But weirdly, as you hit it, it doesn't hurt. You kind of lie there in this grass for a moment and shake your head and stand up and look around you. And you see you're just in like a... just on the plains. Like there's... There's patches of grass everywhere, and you can see in the distance some trees. You don't see any roads or much civilization, but you are just... If it wasn't for the fact that looking around you, you see the grass is in different shades of color. Some of it green, some of it blue, some of it red. And some of the trees in the distance, you notice, are growing at very peculiar angles and interweaving with each other in places. And then as you look to the sky, you see at the moment there are two sons, you would have thought you were just out in the woods outside Baradin. Interesting. Uh, so you said I don't, see any, I don't see any real civilization or anything. Do I see any people at all? Not in your immediate vicinity, no. Right. So definitely don't go north. So let's go the opposite of north. Um, yeah, I'll go south then. Yeah, south seems best. All right. So you start walking in the direction you assume is south. Because <laughs> you have no bearings whatsoever. Um, so you're walking for a while, and you're walking through this plain of grass, and you don't really seem to go anywhere. But it takes you a while to notice, because you know, you're walking through a place you've never been to before, but after a while you realize the tree line isn't really getting any closer, and you're not finding anything, and it's almost like you've gone no distance whatsoever. Okay. Um... So, it seems as I can control certain things with my mind a little bit, maybe. Mm-hmm. So, hmm. I'm, I'm wondering if, like, I don't know. I don't want to, like, just sit down in the middle of nowhere and start, like, reading or, you know, something like that. But if the trees aren't coming any closer, the sun's not getting any further away yet, I'm still walking. I'm wondering if, like, I, can, I don't know, like, whether... Whether if I think hard enough, I'll like, I don't, I don't want to say like teleport somewhere, but you know, like, I don't know, either somebody will appear or, you know, or okay. you know, a, form, a form of transport or something that will arrive. I don't know. Well, you can do an intelligence check. Okay. <laughs> an eight. An eight. Um, so you try to concentrate and nothing really happens. You don't really teleport anywhere. Nothing changes. Uh, with an eight, you do sort of remember that you were told before coming here to keep your goals in mind. And you realize while you were just walking to the south, you didn't really think about where you were trying to get to or what you were trying to get to. Okay. So you take the thought that maybe you need to think specifically about what do you want to find in the direction you walk. Okay, so, so what I want to find is I want to find, I want to find people who... I don't want to say are susceptible to, you know, I want to find people who are looking for a path, looking for a purpose. And I want to, you know, spread the, 
not so much spread the well, yeah, spread the message of the Whispering Man, basically. So the way I'm thinking about it in my mind is I'm looking for not so much lost people, but people who are also looking for a purpose. They're looking for some meaning. Okay. Okay. So you start focusing on that and you kind of set off again. And this time you do notice the tree line is getting closer as you kind of keep this goal in mind as you're walking. You still don't really know what direction you're walking in, but eventually you do get to the trees and you start making your way into this peculiar looking forest. And it doesn't take you too long to come across some sort of structure in the distance. And as you edge your way a little bit closer to it, you realize it's not man-made, certainly, because as Rogar looks at this strange, almost bunker-like building that is covered in what you have to assume is living material, because it almost looks like it's breathing, like it's got a layer of exposed flesh on top of it, and it seems to all meld in with what looks like some sort of door that opens into something that you can't see inside of at the moment from this distance. But it almost looks like a cross between a building and an entity. And that's what you see, Rogar, as your first destination. And that's where we're going to end this episode. Hmm. Yeah, that uh, that's going to have to take a perception check. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, I hope you enjoyed our uh, first little one-on-one uh, -on -one session. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And yeah, this is going to be weird. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's going to be very weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and well, I hope everyone out there enjoyed it as well. Uh, that was Gunpowder, Treason, No Plot. You can find us on all major podcast providers. We have a WordPress website at Gunpowder Trees and No Plot. We have a Facebook group also at Gunpowder Trees and No Plot. And if you want to talk to my players, well, you can find me on Twitter at, at Trees and No. You can find James on there as his character name with GTMP at the end of it. And you can find my two missing players with their character names and GTMP at the end of it as well. And I'll hand it over to uh, James to give you his own little goodbye. As usual, if you've enjoyed hearing my voice as much as I enjoy hearing my own voice, you can find me on the Lost Art Podcasting and the Lost Art Wrestling Podcast. They're available on all good podcast providers and you can follow them at Lost Art Podcast and at LAOW Podcast. And maybe one day you'll find me in the Rescar Cafe on Rescar Business Estate in Preston, Lancashire, the UK, Europe. And, uh, well, I guess with that one, we'll uh, bid you all goodbye. And I'll see you next week. Bye. See ya. Oh my god, can you believe she did that? I was on the edge of my pants the whole time. Where'd that sword come from? It made me say boom shakalaka. Hey everybody, this is the Wheel or Woe crew, and if you enjoyed the show you just listened to, it's part of the Necropodicon Network. That's a network of podcasts that have all different types of shows, from audio dramas to movie reviews to tabletop role-playing games. You can check all of them out at necropodicon.com.
Thank you to Sirenscape for some of the music and sound effects that you heard within this podcast. They do amazing atmosphere and music, so make sure to check them out at www.sirenscape.com. Epic games need epic music.